We're continuing our Seeking Justice series. So open your Bible or turn it on. And, uh, and we're, I'm going to read Psalm 61. Psalm 61. And then Amy's going to come and preach. Powerfully, heaven's going to break out. Are you ready for Amy to preach? Excellent. Good. Preach it, babe. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has announced me, anointed me, to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated, and they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast." Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. That sounds good, doesn't it? Everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. What does the Lord love? He loves justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. And in my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge that they are blessed, a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. And as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Amen, amen. Amen. Preach it, babe. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, babe. <laughs> morning, church. Good morning. So the title for my preach today is, if you're taking notes, and um, feel free to do that. It's always a good discipline to take some notes. Not because what I'm about to say is any better than what anyone else brings, but it helps us to keep it keep a, mo a moment really with God and it gives us an encouragement to track back and say am I really doing what I've been encouraged to do so the title for my preach today is called the build and the battle the build and the battle and we are staying in Isaiah 61 in part but we're also going to be looking at the story and the character of Nehemiah or Nehemiah depending on how you decide to pronounce his name and that is so much that we can unpack from this Isaiah passage isn't there when it comes to revolving around this theme of seeking justice but we don't actually have time to do that justice today but when it comes to justice I'd really like us to take a deeper look into verse 4 and these three R's that you see within verse 4 because the work of justice is all about rebuilding it's all about restoring and it is all about renewing and you know the great thing is and I want to remind you if you're new to Zio that we are part of something bigger we're part of a network called Skylark 
International, which you know I work for as well. And Skylark International, it holds this distinctive as well of these three R's. You know, our vision at Skylark International is to rebuild ruins, to build bridges, and to create culture. So we're all about bringing God's restoration wherever we find brokenness, wherever we find brokenness in our community, in our society, in our nation, and in our world. We're about seeking potential in the ruins around us and breathing life and hope and love into desolate places and people. And then finally, Skylark is about equipping and supporting others to rebuild ruins spiritually, relationally, practically, and emotionally. So what does rebuild them? What does restoring, what does renewing look like for us? Well, you see, all of these words link, don't they? All of them have a good flow. Because firstly, it's about when it comes to rebuilding, it's about picking up the ruins and it's about putting them back together again. Obviously, the best analogy, and we'll look at this a little bit later in the life of Nehemiah, is that of a building and is that of a city war. And rebuilding asks the question, what areas of our society, what areas of our relationships, what areas of our world are in ruins? What areas do there, is there brokenness and how do we start to intentionally rebuild? And then there's restoring. There's bringing back what there was before. Bringing back what there was before. Have anyone watched um, that TV show called Repair Shop? You know, repair shop, I can't get through an episode without crying because it's just so emotional to watch the journey of someone's precious possession that looks like it's lost, looks like it's desolate, looks like there's no hope for it to be restored. And then the journey of like it lovingly being crafted and brought back to life. And then the reveal of the black thing and, oh, I need Kleenex. It's, um, it's an emotional moment. But think of that. If that's just a, a clock or if that's just a car or if that's just a how much more are we talking about the renewing and the restoration of God's community and God's people and God's world this is precious stuff and so that kind of restoration is to bring back what was once before and when it comes to that we need to ask ourselves the question when it comes to justice when we look around us we need to say well what needs restoring what needs to be brought back to life and then finally there is renewing and renewing is an opportunity to start again. And not only is it an opportunity to start again, but it's an opportunity to make something even better than it was before. It's a bit like, if you like, renewing your contract, isn't it? Or renewing a vow or renewing a, a dedicated moment. When you renew that, you come up with better terms and conditions to actually say, I'm going to bring this thing back, not just what its former glory is, but better so that it will last longer than before. So these three words are really, really important for us today when it comes to being a church and being God's people that seek justice. And so as we focus on verse four, it says this, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the, the ruined cities, that which has been devastated for generations. And so what is this scripture telling us about seeking justice? And who is the they? Who is the they within this scripture? Well, here's the great, scary, adventurous answer. The they is us. 
the they is us. Every single one of us here right now, this scripture is included. And it goes on to say in verse 5 and 6, if you're following with me, it says, Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. And you will be named ministers of our God. You see, under the old covenant, you know, God ordained priests of Israel that would stand between him and his people. They brought God's word to the people and the people's needs and sins to God. But under the new covenant, because of Jesus Christ, God's son, all of us as believers are priests of the Lord. We are all called. And that means we are all called to rebuild. That means we are all called to restore. That means we are all called to participate in the justice work of renewal. And that they word is really interesting because it seems to be saying that those who have been freed, those that have had the good news proclaimed to them, those that have been given sight, those who have mourned and been comforted are now those to go out and do the work of justice in God's world. They are the ones to go and proclaim the good news, to bring freedom, to bring comfort, to bring hope, to give sight. And those that once experienced the justice of Jesus in their lives are the same people that are then called to be the work of justice for others, not just to keep that to themselves. And the opening verses of Isaiah 61 share this so beautifully because in essence what they're talking about is that God has a will for his people and those people who God does good things for are then called to go and live and live out a life of justice and that this, that they means you and me. We all have a part to play in justice. We all have a part to be justice-minded and justice movers. We are all called to be the holy priesthood. 1 Peter 2 verse 4 to 5 put it like this. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, this is talking about Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. And later on in 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What a scripture. What a point. We are all priests. We are all missionaries. We are all, every single one of us doesn't get off this call to walk in justice. So the work of justice The work of justice is about the work of rebuilding. It is about the work of renewing. It is about the work of restoring. And it isn't just for those who work in justice. It isn't just for the old or the young. It isn't just for those whose heart beats for a particular subject or the cries of injustices in our world. But according to verse 6, like we've just read, the work of justice is for every single follower of Jesus. And you will be called priests of the Lord. And you will be named ministers of our God. You see, we're all priests. We are all pastors. And we're all missionaries. The work of justice is for everyone. And from the youngest to the oldest, 
from the richest to the poorest, from the suburbs to the country and to the city. Our job is to do these three R's. And the amazing thing about how we can do this, and let's take encouragement from this today, is that justice doesn't just come from our own compassion and our causes in the world, but justice comes directly from the heart of God. It says this in Isaiah 61 verse 8. It says, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery. These are strong words here that are being told us. And I hate wrongdoing. God loves justice. His heart breaks because of the injustices that are happening in our world not just today, but yesterday and in the future. And the amazing thing about our God is the example of our chief justice maker, is that our God is not the powerful, only concerned with the powerful. Our God is the defender of the poor. He's the savior of the powerless. He's the champion of the oppressed. And God knows all about injustice. He knows all about suffering. He willingly suffered and he paid the ultimate injustice by dying on the cross for us, dying for those who despised him, taking punishment for what he didn't deserve, willingly giving his life to save those who couldn't save themselves. And his desire, church, is that we do the same for the poor, for the powerless, for the oppressed. In everything we do and say, let's seek justice. So how do we as believers, how do we as followers take that model of Jesus and we build, restore, and renew? So we're going to take a quick look at the life and the leadership of Nehemiah to help us explore four points about how we do this. And here in this story is a great example of the rebuild, restore, renew kind of moment. And in a sentence, if you like, the story of Nehemiah goes a little bit like this. Nehemiah rebuilds wars. That results in the restoration of a whole community. And then that whole community commit to having a renewed kind of commitment to God. So we rebuild the wards. As a result of that, there's a restoration of community. And then that community renew a commitment, a deeper commitment to God. And so how did he do this? So in these four points that we're going to briefly explore and turn to, what it helps us to do in turn helps us to live a life of justice and be rebuilders of the ancient ruins and restorers of the places long devastated and renewers of the places that have been devastated. So if you're up for the journey, here's point one. Point one is know your part in the story. Know your part in the story. You know, Nehemiah was a common man with a unique position. But we are all common people with a unique position and purpose as well. And God had prepared and God had positioned Nehemiah to accomplish what looked like an impossible task. But this chapter of Nehemiah's life was part of a bigger novel. And this novel said that 70 years earlier, Zerubbabel managed to build rebuild God's temple in Jerusalem. Then 13 years had passed since Ezra himself returned to Jerusalem to help God's people spiritually rebuild. And now Nehemiah's part in the story was needed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to get them to a vital prayer. And the point about justice is that justice 
It's a long story, and it's got chapters and verses and volumes. And if justice, if justice is about the way that things should be, then the picture we get of these people that work for justice and work for the world is that of a town being built brick by brick, block by block, and house by house. You see, the people of God returning back from exile and founding their towns and founding their cities and founding the walls of Jerusalem Dam, they then start to build into their thinking the long, hard work of putting their city back together. And that's what justice does. It puts towns and cities and people and communities and the world back together just the way it should be. So the question in this first point of know your part in the story is this. Who has been before? Who has been before you? And what did their season achieve? And what did their season reinstate? Because when we look at our own justice stories, there is always someone who's done the same thing. And there's always someone who's done the leg of a journey before you. And so we question who has been before. And then we question who is behind you? Who by way of team? Who by way of woman power and manpower is standing by your side and saying, we can do this together with a shared passion and purpose? And then we question who goes after you? Because just justice is a long story with verses and chapters and volumes. So who are you making a way for? You know, Robert F. Kennedy said this. It said, he says, few will have the greatness to bend history itself. But each of us can work to change in a small portion of events. And it's from numberless diverse acts of courage and belief that human history is shaped. Each time a woman or a man stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out about injustice, he sends forth or she sends forth a tiny ripple of hope and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring these ripples to build a current which can sweep down the mightiest wars of oppression and resistance. What an encouraging quote for us today that shows that the work of justice is long-term. But we have this overarching story, and we have this overarching story of commitment and encouragement that shows us somebody's rebuilt before us. Somebody is restored before us. Somebody is renewed before us. It is a team effort built on generations of boldness and courage and conviction. So we need to know our part in the justice story and we need to live out our season well. And this in turn encourages us that we are part of something bigger. It emboldens us in our chapter and then it permits us at the right time to move on. You know, Nehemiah, after his chapter of doing everything that he did within Jerusalem, he returned back to the king of, to, to, be, to be the king of the, of the um, cupbearer. So number one, know your part in the story. Number two, and I need to quicken up, is to make prayer your foundation. To make prayer your foundation. You know, the first step to any venture is to pray. Let's be a person that talks to God. Welcome him into your thoughts. Share with him your life. Share with him your concerns, your dreams, your feelings. You know, when Nehemiah heard about the wars of Jerusalem and heard that still half a century they were still broken down and they were still in need of being repairing. It says this in Nehemiah 1 verse 4. He sat and he wept and he fasted and he prayed before God. Nehemiah prayed 
He mourned. He fasted before he did anything. And his desire was to restore hope. And his desire was to restore dignity to God, for God and for his people. But his result and and the result of how he made this possible was only possible because of his zeal, was only possible because of his passion and his willingness to have his heart broken. So when we hear about the ruins around us, whether that's a place or whether that's a relationship or whether that's a cause or whether that's a world issue, do we, like Nehemiah, stop? And do we take a pause moment to allow our heart to connect with that? Do we allow for our hearts to be broken for the injustice of this world? Do we dare to have a vulnerable moment with God and accountability of Holy Spirit that says, are you calling me to do anything about this? Because the only way our hearts can truly be open to the cause of justice is to spend more time in God's presence. And Nehemiah already had a habit of doing this. This is why there was a heart connection moment when he heard about the wars of Jerusalem. And what was his first response? Even though there was a heart guttural cry and mourn within him that rose up and said, you are called to do something about this. His first action was to do even more praying even more mourning, and even more fasting. And what did this enable him to do? Well, this enabled him to build a heavenly strategy, which then created a plan for him to then go and be partnered with God's plan to um, be justice-minded. Nehemiah had an intentional response rather than an unthinking reaction. And how many of us are sometimes guilty of having an unthinking reaction rather than an intentional response that says, God, I see this injustice, but how do you call me to partner with it? And how do you call me to have a moment with this? You know, Pete Gregg in his book, um, Go Where Your Best Prayers Take You, it says, we are qualified for Christian service by our praying, not our preaching, by our desire to worship him and not our workload on his behalf, by knowing Jesus personally, and not just by knowing a lot of interesting things about him. If you lose God's presence, you lose everything. But if you know his presence, you already have everything that you need. You know, sometimes the work of justice can seem so overwhelming and we can just be like how do we start nehemiah got it right because he knew that the only place to start was on his knees the only place to start was to have a heart-to-heart moment with jesus that says in your presence is all i need for the task that is ahead of me quite simply if we are to tackle injustices in our world if we do it without god we crumble but if we start from God's found in place of his presence. We have everything that we need. So when it comes to justice, and when it comes to having that understanding about what justice means for us, quite simply, it's about time in God's presence, which then creates permission to go, which then gives you the possibilities that can be revealed, that then shows you the plan and the clear way forward, and then gives us the perseverance to remain. So number one, we need to know our part in the story. Number two, we need to make prayer our foundation. And number three, we then get the plan and then we gather the people. The great thing about this cause of justice is we are never called to do it alone. Every single thing that's been won in society and been won in our world has been a result of team and as a result of men and women standing shoulder to shoulder. 
And Nehemiah had bucket loads of, of planning and bucket loads of perseverance within him, but he knew what it looked like to create a good plan. He knew what it looked like to gather people well. And even within the story of Nehemiah, you see within the first few chapters about how he approached the king and then how he got favor as a result to go and rebuild the war. And that the king granted that request, but not only granted it, but sent Nehemiah on his way with resources and things to be able to help. And when Nehemiah got there, he spent three days in Jerusalem going out and doing night walks and walking around the city and inspecting it for himself. All of this was getting an intelligence and getting an understanding about then how he could come up with the blueprints. And after he'd done that, what's amazing about chapter three is it says that he gathers a team, and I count within chapter three alone, that he gathers 40 plus individually named people. And I could go on and share more about how God, how God through Nehemiah created plan and strategy in people. But we don't have time for that today, other than to say that when it comes to seeking justice, we need with God the intelligence and the wisdom to create a plan and to gather people to our causes so that we can do it together. That's about how we seek justice. And then finally... We need to prepare for battle. We need to prepare for battle. Because you see, with every vision, there is always going to be opposition. Distractions will always look to rob you of your destiny. But God's people, under his direction, can achieve ridiculous assignments and accomplish impossible tasks. And every tearing down of injustice and then the building back of justice will require a battle. And distractions of Nehemiah seemed never-ending. And even though at the end he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in record-breaking time, just 52 days, within those 52 days he was repeatedly jeered and made fun of and belittled. People planned an attack to him and around him. Messages called to distract him to leave the war and lure him away were constant. There was always something else that was trying to demand his attention. When his hands became weak, he said this beautiful prayer and he asked God to make his hands stronger even within the distractions of his physical or his spiritual or his emotional sense he knew that he needed the strengthening of the Lord even a priest was paid to distract him but he refused to be distracted from the job in hand and what does this show us it shows us that when it comes to our own justice stories there will be distractions left right and center there will be um, struggles in your marriage there'll be struggles in your relationships, there'll be a dip in your finance, your work will already, already become more pressured. There'll even be things that initially look good, like the priests and people saying, oh, come here, let me call you away to this course, or let me call you away to this thinking. And initially it can look good, and initially it can look like that thing of God. But guys, we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. When it comes to really establishing and working out what God has called us to do, and how God has called us to rebuild and renew and restore, we need to be alert to the enemy's distractions. We need to be half guarding and half working. We need to be half guarding and half working. And Nehemiah 4 verse 16 says this, from that day on, when all of these things were happening, they were made fun of, they were attacked. There was loads of kind of opposition. It says, half my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armors. The officers posted themselves behind all the people 
who were building the wall, and those who carried materials did their work, and listen to this, with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. So as we build, we battle. And as we battle, we build. And the battle is the build, and the build is the battle. And this beautiful kind of analogy of what it looks like is an encouragement for us today that says if we really want to be part of justice in the long haul, we need a tool in one hand, but we absolutely need a club or a spear or a weapon of your choice in the other. Not that I'm calling this to violence. But in the spiritual realm, there will always be an enemy that is looking to take you out. There will always be a distraction against the cause of God. Pete Gregg again goes on to say this. He said, it's not that God is slow to act or that we are trying to persuade God. Prayer requires persistence because it's also an act of warfare against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Such prayer, it reverses the fall in which Adam asserted his independence. And in it we say, my will, not yours be done. We fight with God to liberate enemy-occupied territory, knowing that while the victory is certain, the length of the battle is not. And let me say that last point again, because this is where it all hinges as we start to come into land today. We fight with God to liberate enemy-occupied territory, knowing that while the victory is certain, the length of the battle is not. I want to encourage you folks today that there is an enemy that is wanting to take us out, distract us, pull us away, say, you can't, why you? There's no way that you could tackle the injustices of this, of this world. But actually, if we work out and if we decide to cooperate with heaven's plans for our life, that in verse 4 says, they, they, you, you are called to rebuild. You are called to restore. You are called to renew. It gives us hope to recognize that overarching, victory is certain. But it gives us encouragement to say the length of the battle is not certain, but we can do this. We can do this. I want you to imagine for me as I just start to bring um, some points to a close, and I want to invite the band up. I want you to imagine a lighthouse. And I want you to imagine the spiral staircase that just starts to go up and up and up. And in your mind's eye, I'd like you to just imagine that within every tier, there is a window. You see, for me, when it comes to justice, would you not agree that sometimes it just feels like we're going round and round in circles? Would you not agree that sometimes we, when we look at the injustices of this world, we think, has anything changed? We look back, we stand in the present mess, and then we stand in hope of the way forwards, and we think, has it all been for nothing? Is anything ever changing? But I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage you to just picture yourself in this story right now. That as it feels like you're going round and round in circles in the story of injustice, I want to encourage you to recognize that you are on a climb. And at every window, in your mind's eye right now, I want to encourage you to look out. And right now, when you're at the bottom of that lighthouse, it will just feel like the slowest and most painful and most costly, long, never-ending journey of injustice. 
But every new place that you climb, every new time that you go around, there's then an opportunity to see a different vantage. There's then an opportunity to see a different perspective. And there's then an opportunity to keep going. It may feel when it comes to injustice that we're just going round and round and round again with no change. But church, we are climbing. Every step, every brick, piece by piece, people by people, we're building a new story of hope and a greater way to tackle injustice. Friends, today I want to encourage you. Don't let the enemy rob you of the joy of looking back and seeing how far we've come. Don't let the enemy rob you of looking back and seeing how far we've come. Look out every now and again at the landscape of injustice, which is slowly changing in the name of Jesus. And then look up and be encouraged that we are nearly there. So as I start to close, the work of justice, it is about rebuilding. It is about restoring. It is about renewing step by step, brick by brick, person by person, and for the one in the world. And I wonder, what might God be calling you to rebuild? What might God be calling you to restore? What might God be calling you to renew? Because you are, and you are, and and you are, and you are, right at the back, a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are God's special possession. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because once you were not a people, once you had not received mercy, but now you are a people of God. And now you have received mercy. And what do we do with that information? We go build. We build the walls. We bring back what was before. We make a covenant with God to start again and bring back something that is bigger and better. Bringing God's restoration to wherever we find brokenness seeing potential in ruins to wherever we see desolate places and seeing those ruins spiritually, relationally, practically and emotionally restored. Friends, is it costly? Is it tough? Is it hard? Does it require everything in us? Yes, yes it does. But we remind ourselves that we are part of something bigger. We know our part in the story. We make prayer our foundation. We get the plan and we gather the people. And then we build as we battle. And we battle as we build. If you feel comfortable and if you're willing, would you just stand with me now? We have time. We've got 10 minutes, just a bit longer than 10 minutes. I believe that God wants us to respond to this message today. Maybe you might want to put out your hands just as a a sign, just as an action that just invites Holy Spirit who is already here 
to just be in this moment and be in our heart. I feel today that for the first time, for the very first time, there are some of us that want to say, I want to cooperate with this plan of Isaiah 61. I want to cooperate with how God has called me to rebuild, with how God has called me to restore and renew. If you want to receive through knocking knees and a trembling heart, the commission and the call to actually say, yes, God, I want to be that they. I want to be those people that rebuild the ruins. I want to be those people that restore the places long devastated and that renew the renewed cities, ruined cities. Then just say to Holy Spirit right now, I'm ready. If you're up for this, I want you to um, grab your Bible or your device again. And we're going to change the words. And instead of saying they, we're all going to read out together, I. Now, don't feel pressured to do this. If you really don't want to do this, if you don't feel ready, that's fine. But like Matt said, there is something about speaking out. There's something about declaring with our words a breakthrough that gives us the courage to be part of this justice story. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite us to read this together. I don't know if there's any way we can get it up on the screen for those that don't have Bibles. But every time you see they, just say I instead. Let's personalize this verse four that commits and responds with Holy Spirit today that says, I will rebuild the ancient ruins. I will restore the places that have been long devastated and I will renew the renewed cities that have been devastated for generations. And the reality is, is just before we do that, there will be so many of us that feel scared. Anyone feel scared about saying that they want to say this prayer? Yeah? But imagine what could happen in our nation. Imagine what could happen in the town of Hitchin. Imagine that what could happen in our district if we commit to be a church that went out and said, I will rebuild, I will restore, and I will renew in the name of Jesus. So if you're up for doing this, this is the first response we're going to do today. And then the second response, and I guess it runs in parallel, is that we need to ask for our heart to be broken. We need to jump on board with Nehemiah and other faithful men and women of the Bible that just said, I can't do anything without my heart being broken. And what a ridiculous prayer. Who actually really wants their heart to ever be broken? If you've ever experienced your heart being broken in the, national, in the, in the natural, the pain of a relationship or the pain of being disappointed, why would we want to go there? But friends, you are in the safest place when your heart is broken for the causes of God. He will never take you to a place that you can't handle. So I want to dare you and encourage you today to say, if you've never said it before, or you've said it ages ago, God, break my heart. So if we're up for the first moment, let's read together, shall we, church? So God, we want to rebuild, we want to restore, we want to renew. And together we say, 
I will rebuild the ancient ruins and I will restore the places long devastated and I will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And as we pause in that, we just put our hand on our heart. I want to encourage you just to start praying out as you feel led right now. God, would you break my heart? God, as I commit to be a person that renews, as I be a, commit to be a person that rebuilds and restores, Lord God, break my heart for what breaks yours, Lord God. May I start from that place of mourning and fasting and longing for you because we are nothing without you, Lord, when it comes to tackling injustice. I just feel, church, we need to say it again. Because just saying this prayer one time isn't just going to mean that magically we're going to go out and do it. So I want to encourage you to say it again. I will rebuild the ancient ruins. And I will restore the places long devastated. And I will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And as I hand over to the band and as we just spend a bit of time in worship and responding right now, I want to encourage you, just keep reading this out. Read it out again. Read it out again. Read it out later. Read it out in the week. And if you want prayer, I really want to encourage you to come to the front and we've got a prayer team who will be willing to pray for you. I really feel there's an opportunity for us to respond today to be those people that we build, restore, and renew. So let's worship, and let's give God this time before we close today.